are we starting? I don't know. Are we worried about the cat? No. Is she going to do anything sudden? It, probably not. It's fine. I don't know. She looks mischievous right now. She might poop on your foot. She's not just going to poop on my foot. Do you know how cats work? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the podcast that dreams are made of. We are both here in San Diego this week because I am visiting you in person. Yes, in real life. Real yes. time. Real world. I'm staring at you as we're having a conversation, which we usually don't do. Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of throwing me off a I don't bit. like it. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> Now I can see all of your, like, silent judgment as I'm, you know, giving off my reviews. Uh, no, what you will see is when I just start to tune you out and look at my phone. For, <laughs> I know. For yeah, huh? Junk. What were you saying? Anyway. Yeah. Today, we're, we got a, this is a big week. Yes. We're putting things off for a little bit. This is our our year-end wrap-up of all, the, like, the big movie releases. Mm-hmm. Um um, some award movies. I guess they're all award movies and some award season aspect. movies. Yeah, we're we're going to be reviewing 1917. We're finally going to get to The Irishman, and we are talking about Little Fucking Women. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we, one thing though, like oh. we're going to go this whole podcast without yeah. making any jokes of like. Oh, they looked like normal-sized women to me. Or, oh, the, the women were so tiny, I couldn't see them. Like, we're not going to make any of those jokes. I did. I w- had none of those kinds of jokes even locked or loaded, so... Well, apparently you haven't been on Twitter in the last two weeks. <laughs> Goddamn, the little women takes are tired. Okay. Actually, at the front of the podcast, what I wanted to do is I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about our response to... The Rise of Skywalker review that we did last episode, right? Has it been that long? I think it's been that long. Um, we got a lot of responses on Twitter from some of our friends who who listened to the show, and we knew that there was contention. Yeah, but I don't... I don't really know why. I also don't really know what the contention is, because most of these people were like... We're just sort of like, what the fuck with your <laughs> review? And didn't tell us exactly what was going on. Right. We, I know Sean loved it and wasn't happy that... I felt like we were pretty neutral in our takes. Like, yeah. pretty middle of the road, actually. I would, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, we, we did talk a lot about it That's because true. I felt that it was a big cultural moment and people wanted to hear a lot about it. And I think we had the, you know, the extra showtime to do it um because we didn't have a netflix review that week yeah. but uh yeah I, I think some took that as us going a little hard on it and 
I thought I, I actually agree. I think we gave it like anywhere between a C plus to a B minus. Yeah, I thought we were pretty, pretty middling fair. review. But anyways, before we get into that, let's listen to Patrick, a friend of the show, Patrick. He sent in his thoughts, and I will play that here, and we will respond to his response. So, Have you listened to this yet? Yeah. Oh, you cheater. Well, I had to know. Cassidy, Keith, I'm going to be real with you guys. I had to like rage quit listening to your podcast about three times. I've listened for years. I've never stopped listening out of anger. This one I did. First of all, before I get into why I rage quit, um, neither one of you know who Kevin Garnett was. That was very clear. That was very clear coming through the podcast at one point. Okay, here's here's why I got upset with you guys. I thought you were both a little more sophisticated in terms of your media consumption then was let on with this. And maybe this film just hit a spot for you too. But something ugly was revealed on this podcast. Keith, I'm sure you love all fandom. You impressed me deeply with your uh, deep, deep pop culture knowledge of superhero stuff and Twilight Zone. Cassidy, I know you went to film school. I know you know all the film school lingo. I know you get that little bit of elitistness to you, which I love. I love it. I love that elite film school Cassidy. But oh my god, guys, you turned into grumpy old nerds on this show. This is Star Wars. It's mass consumption for dum-dums. What are you doing? I'll, I'll explain this to you the only way I can. Cassie, you'll understand this right away. Not my Spider-Man. This is not your Star Wars. This is made... For my students, like 14 to 18-year-old kids, to love. Not you guys. Not men in their 30s. You're not supposed to like it. My students love this crap. They think it's the best stuff on earth. Just like you probably thought it was when you first saw it like on the re-release in 1997. It's not made for you. You're not going to enjoy it. It's going to feel rote in the same. Because it is rote in the same, man. It's all the same story. It's not going to be different. They're not going to take a daring directorial debut on it. It's just what it is, man. Just accept it. You have your Star Wars. These are not your Star Wars. Maybe you'll have a new version of Star Wars you like when you're 80. But these aren't your Star Wars. Just like my Spider-Man came out in 1990 to 1997. That's my Spider-Man. Also, the three best films are Solo, Rogue One, and Last Jedi. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Uh, I'm still not sure what his opinion of the movie is. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, he did um, let himself off the hook there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I get that. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, I think that's letting Star Wars off a little too easy. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's part of the problem with Rise of Skywalker was it was trying to appeal to old fans and to new fans. Mm-hmm. So it was trying to be our Star Wars as well as being the new generation Star Wars. And again, I didn't hate the movie. Right. I actually ended up getting sucked into it and having a lot of fun with it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we can't be critical of these things. Like, I think it's so it's, it's a cop-out, Patrick. I'm going to say it's a cop-out to just say entirely that's not for me i do appreciate that and i do think that there Mm -hmm. 
there are is art that it is absolutely acceptable to just go, I am not the target audience, but to view it, to try and view it with, um, to be detached enough from it, to view it from a lens of, well, this might not be for me, but, you know, this is what I think might people might enjoy about it or, or right whatever. right right i just made that very argument uh here just a little bit ago a little bit ago in defense of the prequels because we were talking about somebody who thought that uh, attack, of the, attack of the clones was the best movie i don't believe this person but um but i you know i asked how old was he yeah what you know how and then i did the math it's like okay he would have been about you know whatever years old uh, when that movie came out, so that might have something to do with that. Um, so I perfectly understand that argument. I also think, um, you know, two points of contention <laughs> that I have w- with with this. Yeah, drag him, <laughs> read um, him. <laughs> That's what you get for interacting with us, Patrick. <laughs> we uh, have the microphone now. <laughs> um, okay, first of all, I guess. You know, it's a new generation Star Wars. It isn't our Star Wars. And I've said that before about this new trilogy. And usually that helped me enjoy the other ones even more. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's I, I liked what, what, what Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. I really liked uh, Last Jedi. Yeah. So I've been very, very open to this new trilogy and have thus far enjoyed it. Th- that's why my uh, disappointment with Rise of Skywalker maybe was a little bit more pronounced than it would have been otherwise. Now, yeah, if you, because if you the- go back and listen to my review of uh, of Rogue One, I was a lot more indifferent. Uh, just kind of like I, I don't, I don't really care about this movie, but whatever. If you like it, cool. Um, and whereas this one, I, I uh, Rise of Skywalker, I had a little bit more investment in because I had enjoyed it up to that point. Yeah. Um, also, I'm. It's madness to compare the Disney trilogy to the prequels. It's absolute madness. There is no quality. Le- and and theoretically speaking, that should have been my Star Wars because Phantom Menace came out when we were like what twelve. 13. Yeah. So like that that was like peak age for us. And I loathe those movies. I, I can't even stand them now. And I, I, that's when you get more kind of angry nerd. Yeah. Don't, I, that (laughs) is definitely old grumpy nerd me. Um, but I've kind of accepted that for what it is. Uh, whereas the Disney films, even though I don't think they quite stuck the landing as hard as they could have, yeah. I still enjoy the movies. So yeah, yeah. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> we liked it fine. We yeah. don't have to love or hate it. I that that is something that frustrates me about Star Wars is how now it's like you're either all in or you're all not. There's mm-hmm. there's no room for middle ground. And you know what? I am firmly middle ground with yeah. Rise of Skywalker. I think we were both very middle ground. I think we just had a lot of, uh, I think there was just a lot to talk about. And that came off as us like, you know, nerd picking it apart. I, we joked about that on the podcast. I bit. love that it. But I actually think that his response uh, to our response is a lot more um, uh, seething with rage than we even had about <laughs> well, the movie. That, that was going to say, I love that one of the things I love about Star Wars, yeah. uh, as just a, a cultural icon, mm. is that Star Wars means something different to everybody. Everybody has their own definition of what Star Wars is, uh, to the point 
where people were disgusted with our review. Mm-hmm. Like, and I love that. I love that that people feel uh, so much about these stories, about these characters. And to me, that is the true testament to any kind of uh, cultural moment. Right. Right. So I, um, I I firmly appreciate everybody's in my opinion, crazy reactions to our opinions. <laughs> right. Uh, and also, like, you know, we don't hold any more sway over the, you know, than any of you listeners. Like, we're not affecting Rotten Tomatoes aggregates. Uh, <laughs> uh, so We weren't paid by Disney. <laughs> no. Uh, it, we weren't paid by people who wanted to hate Disney. Like, yeah. It's, We're not uh, 4chan trolls. It's fine that you liked it. It's fine if you hated it. Yeah. You do you, boo. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Uh, we haven't done the movie news in a, in a good while, and it's a segment I'm kind of weaning us off of. I only really return to it if I think we have stories worth talking about, but I think we have stories worth talking That's about. That's good, because I hate it when we're just like, so-and-so is rumored to be in this thing in five years or whatever. Right, yeah. No, uh, and a lot of people have actually commented and or um, liked and reacted to these stories. So I'll start with this one here at the bottom. Um, Keep your knives out. There's a sequel afoot. Yeah. Did you see this? I heard about this, yeah. So I guess uh, what Ryan Johnson wants to do, rather than a sequel per se, like a full-on sequel to the movie Knives Out, he just wants to continue making movies... Uh, with, with the, the Daniel Craig character, yeah. um, what was his ben, name? Benoit Blanc. Yes, yes. And it would be kind of just a, I, I mean, possibly if this next one does well, like a series of these sort of mystery whodunit thrillers Adventure. with this character. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a great call. I, you know, yeah. that, that's sort of the detective story, like franchisability. Mm-hmm. Um, because once the mystery is solved, that's it. But you can have this guy go and have other adventures, sort of like Sherlock Holmes or Poirot. Yeah, um, I think it's fun. Uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed the Daniel Craig character. It's fun to see him have fun in a movie again. Yeah, and um, I just hope he knows what he's signing up for because oh. two two Bonds in, he was like, "I'm done. I'm done with Bond. I don't care anymore. <laughs> fuck it, fuck it." And they're like, five more Bond movies for you." <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, but I think this is a little bit more character oriented than yeah. the Bond movie, so it gives him a little bit more to sink his teeth into, which I think was his issue with the Bond movies, is they're so set piece heavy, and that you know he's pretty much has to be a steel faced. Yeah, uh, I mean British I get it. Person. It is yeah. you know his he gets to a fun accent. Yeah. Uh, it and and he was really good in the movie, and there there was mm. a lot of fun. The only thing I will say is. Uh, Knives Out did kind of, there were times when it was able to play him as kind of a, a bumble butt, it's kind mm-hmm. of a goof, um, because he, there were times when you're like, how much does he actually know? Right. And right. then by the end of the movie, it's like, oh no, he's just really fucking good. So, so they can't really play those yeah, tricks again. They would have to uh, write it in such a way that you're aware of what he's capable of or not capable of. And I think he's going to have to be a little bit more of a point of view character in the future, but I'm excited to see anything Ryan Johnson does. Ryan, 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 Ryan Johnson does. Uh, and I think this 
there's fun potential to be had. Yeah, and I think this is the best way to go forward with because it made a lot of money yeah. and it was a anything that's an original story or an original uh concept that does really well immediately uh, starts getting, you know, industry buzz for sequels and reboots and, and franchisability. Like that's already happening with Parasite of all movies. Um, they're talking about a Parasite TV show. They're talking about Parasite oh, sequels, yeah. Parasite American remake. So, and just because it's a movie that happened to do really well. So yeah. they want to milk it as, as much as they can. And I think if they have to do that with Knives Out, this is the best way to go forward with yeah, it. Yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah. Okay. Timothy Chalamet to play Bob Dylan in film directed by James Mangold. He's so young. Bob Dylan was young. Once upon a time. No, he wasn't. Look at this picture. I defy On Variety.com of Bob Dylan in his first few years. Yeah, who the fuck listened to Bob Dylan in his first few years? Um, Beatniks in the 60s. I guess. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, Timothy Chalamet is good. He's going to be in everything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I don't get terribly excited for uh, rockumentaries, or I guess it's not a rockumentary. It's a biopic, a rock, a rock, a rock biopic. Yeah. Um, but I did just see a trailer. Apparently, there is a documentary about Leonard Cohen and that woman, his his lady love. Yeah. And I was just like, God damn, my Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore picture. <laughs> it's going to pick up some heat, guys. I'm shopping it around. There's a lot of interest. Right. There is right now. The Sandman is like, uh, maybe I blew my shot with Uncut Gems, but uh, Keith's Leonard Cohen biopic is my next chance for an Oscar. So a few years ago, or quite a few years ago, um, there was a movie called that Todd Haynes directed called I'm I'm Not There. Yeah. You remember that? With a bunch of people playing Bob Dylan. Playing Bob Dylan. And so, I, I mean, I never saw that. I should. Yeah, so haven't we already kind of had a Bob Dylan movie? Well, as I've heard, that movie is like, it's about Bob Dylan, but it's not. Like, they never actually refer to the character as Bob Dylan in the film. Mm. And it's kind of more about sort of the cult of personality, like kind of these mythic stories about him that have neither been confirmed or denied or, or, or whatever. So that might've not scratched that Bob Dylan biopic itch that I get. They want something more literal and James Mangold would do that. Yeah. Uh, I guess I just don't really care about this one way or the other. Yeah. I'm interested in seeing the advancement of Timothy Chalamet's career. And I think that, uh, something like this, will you know, be very good for him. Uh, it's not necessarily what I want to see him do, but it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If it does well. And, you know, James Mangold, uh, has had a few hits under his belt. Now he's now I I think Ford V Ferrari is nominated for best picture. So it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Okay. Uh, this just, these last two stories actually just popped up uh, a few days ago. Um, Oscar Isaac will play a superhero turned mayor in Legendary's adaptation of Brian K. Vaughn's Ex Machina. Uh, yeah, I just heard about this. So, uh, obviously pretty funny and ironic because, uh, Oscar Isaac was already in an Ex Machina movie. Yes. Um, I guess I heard... But not 
the same. Not the comic nothing, book, yeah. yeah. Nothing to do with the comic book. And I'm going to defer to you here because I've never read it and I know very little about it. So I know. I'm actually looking at it right now. Okay, Keith is going to his bookshelf to pull it out and show me he has multiple hardcovers. So this... Um, Brian Kivon is one of my favorite comic book writers. Uh, he writes, he writes comics like you write a screenplay. Mm -hmm. Um, so his books are automatically very, uh, cinematic. Mm -hmm. Um, it's sort of nuts to me that more of his books haven't been adapted into movies yet. Have any? I don't know. Yeah. I, I think he used to be a screenwriter. Like he used to write for TV or something. Well, the world of comic book. Maybe he was involved in Lost. The world of comic books and the world of television writing and screenwriting is a very incestuous world anyway, because people will often use one to graduate to the other. Yeah, so Brian Kivon has written things like, uh, he's written Why the Last Man. Mm -hmm. um, I think, personally, Saga is sort of his swan song. Yeah. Um, but before that, the Ex Machina is the book that got me into Brian Kivon. Um, it's so fucking good. It is, and I think it's going to make for an amazing movie. Um, my only thing is it is like five hardcovers long. Like, um, so I wonder if they're going to try to do everything in one movie or if they're going to try to sequel Bloody it up. out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think it could work as one movie. Is but there any mini narratives in there that you could clip out or is it... Or is it strictly, like, very uh, serialized? Um, no, I think you could. I think you could. But there is, like, it does have, like, a, a overall story arc. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the basic conceit of it is there's a superhero who, um, his power is he can talk to machines and get machines to do whatever he wants. Um, and he realizes that, uh, so it's very modern, like postmodern take on superheroes. He realizes that being a masked vigilante isn't the most effective way to make change. So he eventually retires from being a superhero and becomes the mayor. I think of New York. It might be a fictional city. No, it's New York. Um, yeah, so it's just a really interesting take. It's It's got superhero action, but it's also a political thriller um, and I think, I can't think of a much more relevant comic book movie you could make right now. And Oscar Isaac is fucking amazing. Um, yeah. Do you see him in the, in the role? Um, hold on. I'm putting the book away. So I, I pictured the character looking more like a Kennedy, just like in the art, he kind of looks uh, like a Kennedy, but you know, I, absolutely think Oscar he wouldn't have been one of the first people I would have thought of yeah but when they announced it, I was like oh yeah that makes total sense like, okay he'll be great yeah yeah I have no reason to doubt him I always uh like him in movies uh and now that you've told me sort of what the plot is I'm more interested in the project as a whole so yeah I think it could be really cool yeah it's sort of like if if Iron Man was in the West Wing Oh, okay then. <laughs> That's the elevator pitch. This one's pretty interesting. Quentin Tarantino will write and direct Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's spin-off TV series, Bounty Law. I guess. I feel like 
any Quentin Tarantino news, I automatically take with a grain of salt because he's right. like the kind of guy at a party who'd be like, yeah, so I was thinking I already shot all this stuff for my movie. I might as well just like make it a show, right? Like <laughs> it's going to be fucking brilliant because I did it. Uh, you know what I mean? So he just seems like the kind of guy who talks a lot and then yeah. people are like, oh, that's news. Well, and because unlike most people in Hollywood who have aspirations to do lots of different projects, because he's a, such a bankable brand, they'll actually start putting things into motion just on crazy whims and hairs he has up his ass for that particular week. Doesn't mean that it's something he necessarily wants to pursue for a very long time like i think he's already given up on his star trek project yeah Um, who knows so that's what i mean i i kind of am like but maybe this is his way of like getting around the 10 movie cap like so that he can continue to create content um and not have to like worry about double backing on that i mean i do think it would be interesting to see what he does with a tv show I'm yeah. not particularly excited for the idea of a bounty law show because... Of a Western series. Of a Western series that's stylized after a 60s Western series. Like, <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, that might be fun for like three or four scenes in a in a, in a other movie. But is that really going to like translate to now? I mean, but if anybody could do it, it would be him. Yeah, I'm... If anybody can get a new generation into old, kitschy pulp, it's Quentin Tarantino. That's true. I I just think it's a... Uh, uh, sure. Again, I'm taking it with a huge grain of salt. We'll see if it actually happens. I mean, of course I'll watch it, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm not like... I wouldn't say I'm excited. What network would premiere that? Maybe that's part oh, of the story. Oh, God. I, I mean... I'm sure there'd be a bidding war. Anybody between, who wants to. Yeah, yeah. Netflix... Amazon, uh, HBO even, who knows? My money's on Netflix or Amazon. Yeah. I mean, Netflix produces everything. They, If you don't have a Netflix deal, it's like you don't have a career. Right. And because of the concept of the show, other than period stuff by nature is generally expensive, but because of the concept of the show, it doesn't have to be expensive. Because well, it can look cheap on purpose. Also, apparently... Apparently, part of the reason he wants to do it is because he already has so much footage just from what they shot in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. So, apparently, like... Like, Leonardo DiCaprio is not going to come and, like, be on his, his a season of television. No, but he he was a guest star. Oh, that's right. He that's was an episode right. of the week, so... That's right. That episode is probably already done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I get why he would want to do it. Like, I have already... I already have all this footage. I might as well use it. And he did kind of do something similar with the Hateful Eight because he like released that as like an extended mini series or right, whatever. Right. Um. So another reason why I would think it would be a Netflix thing. Um. So I think if if nothing else, it could be an interesting experiment. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and start talking about the movies of our week. Uh, or the last few weeks, and we're going to start here with uh, one of the m- bigger releases. This was this won Best Picture at the Golden Globes. It's nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Uh, this is Sam Mendes' uh, 1917. Um, who wants to set this up? 
Uh, I will. Okay. So, 1917, we're, we see, uh, it's about these two British soldiers who are given this mission to cross enemy lines through, uh, what is thought to be German-occupied territory, um, to get to a battalion of 1,600 men to call off an attack that is definitely a trap. Yeah. Uh, the British military found, you know, some a, a, intel. Intel that um, this attack that they think is the retreat, the Germans retreating, and is like a sure thing attack. It's actually not a sure thing. Uh, everybody is just going to get slaughtered. Apparently, yeah. And one of the men has a brother involved in the other infantry, so he's you know part of the mission or part. His stakes in the mission is to make sure that his brother survives. This. Yeah, they purposely seek him out. They feel that a two-man expedition has a, a much higher chance of success than, uh, you know, like a large squad, um, just because they can be a little sneakier. And so they specifically seek out this guy because his brother, he, he'll be motivated to save his brother's life. Yes. The character in question is played by Dean Charles Chapman, and uh, his friend is played by George McKay. McKay. Um yeah, and uh, neither of which are like particularly well-known actors, but we but the movie is sprinkled with uh, oh my god with very well-known actors all delivering like one line of military dialogue. Yeah, like they have like one little scene that they walk in and off in De- and out of. Dean Charles Chapman uh, is our oh that's him of the week mm-hmm. um, because everyone I know who's seen this movie hasn't recognized he played uh, Tommen in Game of Thrones. Um, he's a little older, a little fatter. He has sort of hobbit bod in this. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so if you're like, who the who? fuck was that? It's Tommen. He looks like a British uh, Josh Hutcherson to me. Totally. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he looked like that in Game of Thrones, but, you know, he's a kid and has, like, baby face. But, but yeah, we also get little performances from Colin Firth, uh, Daniel Mays. Uh, Andrew Scott. Yes, and uh, uh, Mark Strong. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Uh, which I think this is the first thing that Andrew Scott and Benedict Cumberbatch have been in together since Sherlock, and uh, they don't even have any scenes together, so it's kind of funny. Yeah, that is kind of funny. Uh, I think the true star of the movie, though, is is uh, Roger Deakins, the cinematographer. Yeah, so uh, sort of the the gimmick, I guess, of this movie is it's... Meant to look like it's all one tracking shot. Yeah. Uh, uh, whatever cuts there are, they are, are hidden. Hidden really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's one definitive cut. Hard cut. Hard yeah. cut in the movie. Um, and uh, everything else is is either hidden in post or or stitched somewhere. So. Yeah. So whatever you say about this movie, I think it's. If nothing else, uh, a really cool um, technical achievement. Yes, uh, and and I do think that it it lends a lot to the story because it it uh, it's all sort of following these characters, so it's a much more intimate portrait of war. Yeah, um, there's not like these. Well, it puts really... you in the trenches with them. Like, yeah. You feel like you're literally following them. So when there's, you know, bombs going off or they have to crawl over dead bodies or through, you're crawling through with them. fences or, yeah, or there's, a, you know, an airplane coming down on them. Like, 
And I was I saw this at the Dolby Theater, which has a so really yeah, yeah really loud uh, rattle bass, mm-hmm. and and I was sitting up pretty close, so it was also I was kind of staring up at the screen, so I I really got the full effect of of what they were going. Yeah, for. and it and there were times when that feels really intense. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, no, I think that is really well pulled off and achieved. Um, yeah. And and I do think it, it it does help the story because of that, because you feel like you're in danger. And I think it's an interesting approach to a war movie because typically mm-hmm. you think war movie, you're going to think like big battle scenes. Yeah. Um, you don't really have that. I mean, there is a large battle, but you don't really see it because you're seeing it's it's more of a a, a character's climax than like a large uh, battle climax. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, yes, there are battles that we run through or survive as, as the movie progresses, but it's not, um, it's not overly, uh, it's, it's not the same as like a Lord of the Rings. Right. Or... It's not breaking down the entire anatomy of the battle. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a, actually pretty unique for a war movie as well. Um, usually, it seems like if a war movie is going to do that, it's probably more for budgetary reasons. Mm. Um, where in this case, it's definitely creative choice because you can tell the budget was insane for this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so why then am I hesitant to love this movie? No, I get I I, I appreciate it a lot. I think it's really, really well made. I think Roger Deakins is probably a shoe-in for the best cinematographer here. I think he still has never won a cinematography award, which mm. is insane. Yeah. Um, given all his all of his work in the past. But because this is so technically driven. Oh yeah. And because the the camera is such a big part of the movie, like I said, it's the the major star of the movie is the camera work. Um, I think uh uh, he's, he's probably going to get the award here and deservingly so, but yet I kind of walked away from the film, not entirely emotionally invested. I think part of that is, um, it is a very narrow window of time. Um, and you only get real sense of these characters. You don't get any sense of these characters outside of this very extreme situation. So it's a little hard to relate to them. I think that keeps. Uh, I think that kept me a little bit at arm's way. Uh, the performances uh, are good all around, and and they. I do think that they and they have they're given a you know within yes reacting to these extreme circumstances they are allowed to build a character there. Yeah, and and I actually think considering. Um, sort of the tradition of war movie characters, they actually give them a lot more than, uh, say, like a Saving Private Ryan or, right. or something. Um, and I will say also that this it is nice because the cast is so sort of small. Um, I, I don't run into that war movie problem that I usually have of not being able to ca- tell the characters apart. Right, because they all have mud on their face and all wearing the same uniform. Yeah, Um but I know what you mean. It sort of, it sort of feels like the characters are secondary to the experiment. Yes, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But no. I do think that is probably 
something that isn't going to let you connect emotionally as much. Like, I think, you know, there are moments of shock and surprise, but, um, no, I kind of felt the same. So I think because of the nature of the way the movie's made and it being so technically driven, um, I'm reminded of other films that are like that, uh, like Gravity, Mm -hmm. um, which was admittedly one of my favorite movies that year. And, uh... To maybe to a lesser extent, Birdman, okay, um, yeah. or or even The Revenant, uh, both in your two films, films that I feel like even the the wrestler. Uh, I th- I think the wrestler is is more character driven than this. Even well, I just it it does a very similar thing of like definitely following the main follow character. cam. Yeah, yeah. there there's 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 a lot of uh, uh, handy cam or not handy cam, but handheld camera work in that movie. But I think that one is more has more traditional coverage than even this. Yeah. Um. But but with, with these kind of films, are where the where the uh, there's a lot of choreography involved, where there's a where there's a lot of production choices involved. I think that I. I kind of feel like there's a trick element to it. Like there's a, a, a sort of, uh, well, a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to say gimmick, gimmick, but it is, it's, 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 it's not. Cause I think in the world of filmmaking, all choices are valid. Yeah. I don't think it cheapens the, the film, but it's definitely like, this is the, the one take war movie. Yeah. Like that's what you're going to remember. Not, the character moments, not the emotional moments. You're going to remember the technical side of it. So whenever that sort of happens in a movie, I think, you know, instinctively you're, you're noticing those things a lot more than you would. So it, it, it keeps you detached. Yeah. It it doesn't allow for full immersion because you're, you're constantly aware of um, what they're trying to pull off technically, which is ironic uh, that, it doesn't achieve full immersion because the idea is to immerse to immerse you yeah. more. Yeah. Um which I I think, you know, it's a it's visceral filmmaking. Yes. And it's certainly cinematic. And I think that it's it's effective on those levels. And I would tell people if they want to see this, they should and that they should definitely see it in a theater. Yeah. Um I think if you're watching this at home or on your iPad or something, you're really gonna lose the effect. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's ultimately where it comes from maybe when i'm thinking about like you know because i'm at that stage of the year where i'm i'm heavily ranking um yeah yeah. and so i'm watching this movie with that in mind i'm thinking if i watch this on my iphone am i going to get as much out of it as i am in a theater and maybe that's not as a fair assessment i think that's a weird way to judge movies it is but i mean how is it working on a story level no i i do I, well, I mean, we've mentioned this before with Gravity. Gravity yeah. was a great theatrical experience, but I don't know that I ever need to see it again. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel that about this movie. Like, I'm glad I saw it. Yeah, uh, totally. It was a, it's a cool theatrical experience, um, but it didn't, like, change anything for me, you know? And, yeah. And, but I don't necessarily need to set all movies to that standard. It's just right. when it's competing with, movies that I'm going to think about for years, like Uncut Gems, right. uh, it's going to just sort of be forgotten for me. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know necessarily forgotten, because I think there's 
you know. I just also don't know but that it, I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to reach for it anytime soon. Yeah, I'm just also don't know that I'm. I'm not the biggest fan of historical war movies. Yeah, and and and, th- and that's just like as f- with this genre, I'm always going to be like swimming up current. But I think, like, for me, this movie was a lot more satisfying than the most recent one in memory of... Dunkirk. Yeah, Dunkirk. Because World War I almost entirely took place in France. That is one thing that I thought was cool about this movie is it's basically shot in real time Mm -hmm. uh, because of that. And you, like, everything they go through, that was, like, the, the size of the war. It was a world war because of... Uh, the amount of countries involved, but it was for actually a relatively small piece of land. Right. So I do think uh, there's obviously why it was a World War One movie versus a World War Two movie, uh, and I think in general there's more World War Two movies. Yeah. Um. So to me, that all of that was really cool about this movie. Yeah. I also really like the choice of uh, all of the infantrymen that we see in the movie, not. The commanders and, and that kind of stuff. But all of the, like, uh, uh, whenever we see, like, these little battle sequences and stuff, they all look really young. Yeah. They all look between and the ages, like, the 17 same. to 20. And and in those moments, everybody does look the same. Like, yeah. we know who our main characters are, and we know who uh, the officers are, because they're sort of uh, officers of British acting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sort of, yeah. Uh, which I think there's almost a fun meta commentary there of uh you know like you survive the ranks of um obscurity long enough you eventually become a general in a movie right um so i think there's something kind of fun being said there also you know they're just more seasoned um yeah i mean overall i liked it but yeah i I didn't love it yeah i i i i like it and i recommend it and i think everyone should go see it yeah. But it's it doesn't rank as high for me, um, largely because it does feel a little bit more like a ride than a movie. Y- yeah. Uh, okay, now you're starting to sound like Scorsese. <laughs> well, in this case, that's kind of exactly the case. Because, I mean, it, it is no, has, it, it, has you, the, the viewer, on a track. Yeah, it feels like y- you could have bars lowered at the beginning and just be like, whoa, now we're in no man's land. And whoa. Yeah. No, I, I understand that criticism. I just am still mad at Scorsese. <laughs> well, we can get it out when we talk about the Irishman. Uh, yeah. Do you want to letter grade this? Um, I'm going to give this a B. I'll give it a B plus. Yeah. Um, because of the, the technical achievement here is undeniable. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Beautiful to look at. I felt yeah. the same as you. I couldn't quite emotionally connect to it. Okay. Let's talk about Little Women. And Literally the exact opposite movie. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> uh, let me pull that up real fast. Oh, you have it up here. Well, I'll do it too. So Little Women is the uh, film adapted, the latest film adapted from Louis May Alcott, uh, Louisa May Alcott's novel of the same name. And uh, this time it's adapted and, and directed by Greta Gerwig. This is her follow-up, her directorial follow-up to Lady Bird from a few years ago. Um, it also stars Saoirse Ronan, um, who starred mm-hmm. in uh, Lady Bird, as well as uh, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, and Eliza Scanlon. 
Eliza Scanlon, I think. Scan Eliza Scanlon. Uh, it's also got uh, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Tracy Letts, uh, Bob Odenkirk for for a little for a little bit there. Yeah, Chris and Cooper, Meryl, Meryl Streep. Streep. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Star-studded is, cast. Yeah, and definitely like a, a old guard and new guard of sort of character actors. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, 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 the four young girls, they star as Joe, Meg, Amy, and Beth, uh, the main characters from Little Women, the titular Little Women. And, and but we're not going to do it. We're well, not going to just make I jokes have, about how small these women are. No intention to do that. Uh, <laughs> And if you've ever read the book or if you've ever seen any of the adaptations, you, you pretty much know that this is a story about these, these, these girls who live in kind of unfair conditions during the 1800s. This is like right, right during the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Cause their father is, <laughs> their father is away at war and, uh, their mother is trying to raise all of them and she doesn't have quite as much money as she would like to I be hope, able to do so. I hope, uh, Patrick is raging against our <laughs> lack of historical knowledge as much as he raged against our review of Star Wars. He's probably taught this book in class. A lot of people read this in high school. I did not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never seen any other film adaptation of it either, which we'll get into when we talk about the review. But uh, I think Gerwig's um, uh, contribution to this story that uh, other directors have never done before, or the way that the book is laid out, is it's not in linear fashion. So if you've ever read the book or if you've ever seen the other movies, um, it starts with them as kids and it goes in linear uh, linear through time till oh, interesting. It, it, till they're adults. I didn't what know Gerwig does is she kind of breaks it apart so that we're uh, juxtaposing their lives as kids when they're you know growing up with these dreams and aspirations and what kind of men they're going to marry and how they're going to acquire wealth and you know the types of jealousies they have and the squabbles they have as children to uh, what do they end up doing when they're adults. There's also uh, I will say also Greta Gerwig. Uh, she goes out of her way to make this antiquated dialogue feel more contemporary yeah. uh, uh, in a way that's not like they, it's not like completely updated. Like they still have, you know, they still use sort of old language, but they deliver it in sort of a young way, which yeah. is cool. And And there's some like fourth wall breaking and it's. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I know that there's like some. Uh, they weren't married to Alcott's dialogue. In, in uh, I think that there there were some like uh, monologues and stuff that were added post. And you know, there's definitely an emphasis on making the young characters feel young. So like when they're when they're playing uh, or dancing, you know, there's moments where uh, they dance silly or that yeah. you know, uh, uh, just sure. d- again uh, in ways that other sort of period movies don't do. And usually in other adaptations of this movie uh, or of this uh, book, they'll double cast. So they'll, the yeah. kids are played by kids and they'll get adults to play to play them as adults. Whereas in this version, um, it's cast in such a way that they can kind of... It's, it's uh, a lot of women that... Believably play both ages. Yeah, uh, uh, the, you know, the women who are cast here... Sorcia Rowan and Emma Watson, Florence Pugh and Eliza Scanlon all are that age where they can look younger depending on sort of hair and makeup or look older depending on hair and makeup. Yeah, and through just through 
performance and, and yeah, body language. Totally. Um, yeah. And I mean, the performances here are great. I, yeah. I didn't know because I also haven't read the book or um, seen any other adaptations. So I didn't know that that she made the choice to make it nonlinear. Yeah. Um, and I know some people who really did not like that choice and the movie was sort of ruined for them because of that choice, because they're so used to the way it used to be told. Mm, um, and, and I can imagine that if you're looking at it like that, where you're really growing up with these women, then you're going to, it's going to feel longer. It's going to feel bigger. It's going to feel more, um, novelistic in that way. Yeah. Whereas if you're, if you're seeing it this way, where it's the point of the movie is the juxtapositions, then it's, it's probably going to, um, uh, give you more of an overall take right away. Yeah. Um, so something that's interesting about the story here is, it's very interesting the way it's sort of cast. And, uh, because again, I'm not familiar with the story. And I was expecting more dramatic tension through a lot of it. Like, you get Chris Cooper. Yeah. I'm expecting him to be a fucking son of a bitch at some point. Yeah, because he's, he's kind of cast against type. Yeah, I'm and, expecting, yeah. Uh, you, you know, uh, there's a war going on in the background. I'm expecting someone to go off and die in war. Uh, so, to me, this movie is interesting because it's... It's sort of devoid of care, not devoid, um, but the character conflicts that exist are much smaller, yeah. uh, much more personal. With the exception of one, I think one of the characters goes through a pretty dramatic arc. Yeah, I mean, yes, there is drama here, but it's it's drama that's different than we're sort of used to recently. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a story. This, it's a story about manners more so than anything else. Yeah, yeah. So. At times, I found that to be very nice and very relieving and very, like, uh, uh, calming. Mm-hmm. But at times, I also felt like some dramatic tension could have maybe been ratcheted up a little bit more. Hmm. I kind of went into this knowing it might feel a little long, because um, that's just sort of this type of story. Yeah. And I do think Greta Gerwig does a good job of not making it boring, but it does at times feel a little overlong to me. Hmm. I never really had that problem with the movie. I I do know what you mean that there is a, uh, hmm, uh, not necessarily a lack of dramatic tension because I think it is there, especially if you're looking at the relationship stuff and the way that that develops. Yeah. I, I mean, you, it's just different than you than I sort of expected it to be. Sure, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh, it took me a little while to realize that there's that these juxtapositions that she chooses throughout the film that that that's where the story is. Yeah. That, 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 that the story isn't in isn't just in the lives of these girls, but it's also in sort of the points. Excuse me, women. Okay, <laughs> isn't in the lives of these women, but is also in uh, in sort of in between the scenarios here. So there's a lot of uh, discussion of class, yeah, uh, going on here, and sort of uh, you know the different kinds of ep- uh, economic opportunities there were for girls of that time, women. and sort sort of how they had to 
you know, Mary Rich and things yeah. like that. Um, Florence Pugh gets a good monologue about that in the movie. Yeah, uh, she was actually, I mean, she's such a good actress. She was one mm-hmm. of the characters I related to the most, and I sort of felt... She was probably the one I was rooting for the most, if that makes sense. Which is interesting, because historically, everyone hates this character. Oh, really? Yeah, they always they always see her as a like being a big brat, because uh, I think that's sort of how she's been written, and, and, and sort of how she'd been portrayed in other adaptations, mm. is she's the one that burns Joe's book, and, you know. I mean, she definitely has bratty moments. Yeah. Uh, you know, when she's younger, and, and, and maybe the juxtapositions show her age a little better or show her sympathies yeah her a little more ethos um, a little more yeah i think that that i think in that case the 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 nonlinear really helps that character yeah yeah i don't i sort of felt the the same way about this as you're saying you felt about 1917 like i liked it mm-hmm. i enjoyed it but i don't know that i loved it i wasn't like I wasn't crazy about it like a lot of people were. Like, I know uh, it's gotten great critical reception. Yeah. And there were moments that I definitely got to me, that spoke to me, like uh, uh, when Chris Cooper gives Beth the piano. Yeah. uh, Like, there are these moments of just, like, of appreciating tenderness. Sure. Um, But... Understated human moments. Yeah, yeah. And and I... but I think because there's so much of that, like, that's what this movie is. Yeah. Um, that, you know, by the end I was like, okay, cool. Like, so in this case, it could have used a little bit more cinematic spectacle. And I think maybe I don't, but, but I, I don't want to say that because especially hearing you talk about the, the book and the adaptation, there are definitely cinematic tricks. Yeah. Um, again there's like these moments where they break the fourth wall and and maybe and there been a, i don't i wouldn't want the movie to have to use that as like a crutch though i don't know right right there was just something about it that i was like it was fine like i don't know i didn't connect to this as much as like i did ladybird yeah i think that uh for me that is definitely the case and i think that you know, they're both coming-of-age stories. It totally makes sense why she would go from that project to this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and think, it's definitely ambitious. Like, you yeah. know, we're going to take this book that has been adapted so many times and adapt it in a different way. And, and yeah. anytime you're doing sort of period piece, it's ambitious. And, and making it look and feel appealing to the youth is ambitious. Yeah, and I do think it does a, a pretty good job at staying a period movie but also feeling contemporary yeah so Um, i don't want to i don't think i think directorially speaking greta gerwig is doing a lot of stuff right yeah and the performances all around i think you know saoirse ronan and and uh and uh florence Pugh, lawrence uh or laura dern everybody is killing it yeah i i think i've mentioned this i think every movie would be a little bit better with laura dern in it yeah you've also said that about uh about John C. Riley. So what we really need is Oh my a- god! <laughs> Are there any movies with Laura Dern and John C. Riley? <laughs> they need to play a married couple in something. Yes. <laughs> uh but but not the 
I mean, it would be great if they were the main characters, but they're so good at like mm-hmm. at stealing every scene they're in that I would love to see them as sort of like a friend couple. Yeah. Uh, no, I think everything is working here. Yeah. I just, I think, you know. I think we just this... have to ratchet it up to we're 30-something-year-old dudes. And, and unfortunately, I mean, I know that sounds awful. And, no, I, and I really do like this movie a lot, but there is a certain amount of things. There's there's a line to where relatability is just you know not going to be there. And and I think it's yeah, I agree. I uh, and that's okay. And I still think it's really good. And there are movies that are primarily about women that I and made for women that I respond to a lot more than this movie. Um, but I did, I do like this movie, like uh, 1917. I definitely recommend people see it. I think um, it's deserving of most of the nominations that it got. Maybe should have got more, uh, honestly. I think there is something to be said that Ger- Greta Gerwig should have gotten an Oscar nomination for this. Although I do think that her work in Lady Bird was stronger. Well, there, I mean, also, uh, yes. Uh, but... There were so many, I think, women directors that were ripped off this year that it's hard for me to sort of shake my fist and just go, Greta Gerwig, like, I think right. she's great. I love uh, I love her as a director. Um, but, like, for my opinion, I enjoyed Hustlers yeah. way more, right? And mm-hmm. and so I don't want to get into the, the debate of, uh, you know, Greta Gerwig was snubbed, where it's just like, yes, there were a lot of women that were snubbed this year, and, and it's a shame. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think you can count Greta Gerwig in that number. Yeah. Um, um but yeah, I'm going to, I give this movie a solid B plus. I think it's, it's really strong work, really great performances. And I do think that like, uh, you know, mothers should take their daughters to go see this and yeah. have a moment with it because I think it's, re- um, it's effective. Yeah. And there's a lot of, uh, and I, I do appreciate that it's a movie that is about, being sweet and tenderness and and love versus mm-hmm. um you know uh, uh such a um typically like antagonistic driven yeah. movie uh, i really like timothy chalamet a lot in this movie yeah he's great yeah um i mean everybody's great in this movie it's really well yeah. cast yeah i'll give this the same thing i gave 1917 b plus it's sort of the opposite end of the coin for me mm-hmm. of like, I liked it, I just couldn't totally connect. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be the major theme running through this episode. Um, now, yeah. Now we're going to be talking about... Uh, the much-beleaguered review for our Netflix homework, The Irishman. Who assigned this to who? I, I assigned to this. I assigned this to you a thousand years ago. Yes, and it's been out for a while, uh, but... It, like the other films we're talking about, up for a lot of Oscar yeah, nominations. Yeah, wrapping up our prestige uh, viewing of the year. Yeah. Um, so this movie is, it is sort of a biography about, um, I didn't uh, know this was a real guy, but um, Frank the Irishman Sheeran um, uh, going through his sort of, past as uh, a mob enforcer, a heavy uh, house painter, if you will, and his relationship with uh, mob boss Russell Buffalino, played by Joe Pesci, and union uh, uh, president Jimmy Hoffa. Yes. um, Who, I, I, 
didn't know really anything about the the real story of Jimmy Hoffa. Mm-hmm. I just always knew the joke that he was like buried under under some casino somewhere. Uh, the joke I always heard was he was buried under I think it was Cub Stadium yeah. or it was like some yeah some or or the Bears. I don't know. Yeah. We are of the age where Jimmy Hoffa references were just ebbing as we were like, you know, coming into pop culture. Yeah. Like (laughs) I remember specifically asking my dad. This would be like 15 years from now. The kids who are just hearing about Epstein. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a pretty (laughs) good, like, I don't know. He was that guy. He was in jail or something. He was definitely a pedophile. I know that. Uh, (laughs) Not Jimmy Hoffa, Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know about Jimmy Hoffa. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, so uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, this is a sprawling uh, mob epic uh, yes. about one guy's life. Um, it's uh, notoriously long uh, runtime of three and a half hours. Yeah, which um, you can do when you're not releasing in theaters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this did have a, a, a short theatrical run to qualify for for Academy Awards, but. Uh, it uh, mostly is was designed as a Netflix release. Uh, also, uh, you know, a huge cast: uh, Robert yeah. De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, Ray Romano, Bobby Cannavale, Anna Paquin. Even though she has no lines, <laughs> she doesn't talk until like the very end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, which is actually sort of a point of controversy and contention, um, which I think is a little dumb. Not that. We shouldn't be giving women character lines, but like that's not what this movie's about. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, if you want that, see Little Women. It's great. Uh, you know, absolutely, women deserve a presence on screen. <laughs> it doesn't mean every movie has to be about women. Um, I'm going down a weird rabbit hole. Yes, Keith is a sexist. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I, you know, Anna Paquin uh, uh, and Margot Robbie are adult actresses who know the the choices they're making when they agree to a role right uh so we we don't need to defend them on twitter unless there's miles of footage of their of all their monologues that were cut (laughs) sure which in in that case why couldn't we get one um i don't think that's the problem this movie has and i think this movie has a very big problem okay um Yes, I, I'll let you start with that then. What was so, your I, I mean, I, I love Martin Scorsese. In sure. this house, we stand Scorsese. I don't think this is one of his best. Um, I think, I do think it's unnecessarily long. Um, I think at a certain point, like, just make it a miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, but my problem, my main problem is uh, the casting. Uh, you're mm. casting actors who are too old to be believable young men. Yeah, so uh, now this is actually very interesting given what we just talked about with with Little Women and how it was cast in such a way that they didn't have to double cast and, it, and, yeah. and they were able to pull that off. This is the opposite of that. I think... So they do this digital de-aging thing, uh-huh. uh, which at times looks great. Uh, other times it's fucking uncanny valley as shit. Yeah. Um, and but even when it works, the problem is Robert De Niro has an old man's body. He moves like an old man. Like yeah. there's a part where he 
curb stomps a guy and he looks like an old man. Yeah. Uh, even when he's like throwing guns in the river, he's like, eh. and it's just like, I don't, I, it compl- and he's supposed to be like 40, like he's well, only I, maybe, to- maybe fifties, you know, like right. I think a solid yeah. chunk of the movie. He's in his fifties. It's you, just, you have 70 year old actors playing 50 year olds and it's like, it's, yeah, it's it rough. It doesn't, in that, this wouldn't be a problem if that wasn't the majority of the movie. Or at least the first half of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, you know, there is a... In, in I get that this movie is about this old man who's sort of reflecting on these these old... These uh, past choices and these wrong decisions he's made. But I think at a certain point you should have either double cast or cast a younger person and make them play an older person yeah you know i love robert de niro and i think he is doing good work here um i think joe pesci is doing good work i think everybody's i think joe so joe pesci is the exception for me Mm -hmm. because his character is always a little older he's always more reserved uh i think this is an amazing performance by joe pesci i i he was the only one that i like sort of believed Mm -hmm. um Robert De Niro's doing good work, but it's 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 nothing new from him. Well, I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit, and, and I'll get to that in a second. But what I wanted okay. to say is, when I was watching that first half, especially once it once everyone's at the age that they're pretty much are right now, um, then I was kind of with it more. But uh, during that first half, I was like, you know. What would this have been better if this Bobby Cannavale was the main character the whole time? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, or somebody of that age. Um, oh, also, uh, John Berthal is in this movie, and I was like, what if he was playing this character? Exactly. Like, I um, just couldn't believe Robert De Niro is this sort of mob heavy, because he yeah. he just always is way older than everybody. And and, and also, he brings a, a, a screen presence just by the sheer fact that he's Robert De Niro. That's the other problem, is Al Pacino. He's he's at a certain point just doing an Al Pacino impression. Like sure. he's in, in you know he's full on Al Pacino. And I movie. looked at um in in I biopics don't necessarily have to go for accuracy, but I like I looked up what Jimmy Hoffa and and oh this is based on a lot of like conjecture yeah 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 and, you know rumor and stuff and, like uh, that. And this is definitely the move the hollywood movie version of events yeah it, but i mean like they don't even really try to make them look like the people and, and that's not necessarily a deal breaker but yeah, it I is that's fine it to, for me it's a deal breaker when they're not trying to make them look like the the actual people but they look so much like the actors that are you know, these high-profile, sort of larger-than-life people like Al Pacino. Why? Well, I think you're supposed to register them as the actor more than the character. And that's kind of a problem for me. Uh, I'll say that that is potentially... Here's my defense of the performances altogether. Um, I, yes, I do think that uh, uh, Rob De Niro is a little miscast, um, but I do like him in this part because... What we usually see from Robert De Niro in a Martin Scorsese film mm-hmm. is a much more bullheaded, uh, uh, you know, commands the room, 
intimidating, That's true. heavy than we've seen with this this guy. He's a lot more passive. He's taking orders more than giving them. He's, That's true. He's usually the quietest person in the room. Right. And he actually is, is he's doing these terrible things. He's going off and like doing these hits and killing people and knocking off people and all of this stuff. But he's he's doing it as if he's the guy in the office who just got, you know, taking the orders down. That's true. Oh, okay. I And I do like I like his demeanor in the movie. He's he's kind of kindly even as he's doing these awful things. And um I like that the the sort of blue collar Yeah. Uh no, I Whoa, what did I do? Like, you know what I mean? Like throughout the whole movie he's he, he's so sympathetic. Just, just do that. Uh, impression for me again. It's me, the Irishman. <laughs> yeah. um, Maybe not the most convincing Irishman with the blue contact lenses. Um, yeah, I, a lot of weird choices like that. But I do, but I do think I like his. Uh, I think his internal acting is, and the interiority of the character is convincing. And I like to see him do that, especially this late in his career. I do. Okay. My, my defense of I'll, Pacino. I'll see those points. Yeah. My, my defense of Pacino is yes, he's hamming it up and he's just doing big, loud Pacino. But I think that works for this character because he is, I mean, the way he's portrayed sure. is he's this guy who can't give himself a break. He's all, he's, he's, but there's a lot of actors who can do that. And, and, also disappear into the character. I don't think he. I don't think the intention was to disappear, and I don't think that that's I, I, necessarily what you mm, want to see from this movie. Well, I, for me, it was a problem. For I, me, I, for me, it's like okay, Al Pacino's yelling. I thoroughly enjoyed Al Pacino just Pacinoing it up. I mean, I did too, but it didn't. I enjoyed. Okay, in the context here, especially, I enjoyed watching that as a performance. But to me, it didn't. It just furthered problems I was already having with the movie. Okay, well, like believability. Yeah, I just <laughs> like, think, like just I just think for you a have three, to not care about that. For, but for a three and a half hour mo- long movie, I want to be immersed. I want to mm. be sucked into it. In this, I'm not. It's jarring. Every ten minutes, there's something reminding me this is a fucking movie. Yes, and and to me that I think specifically every ten minutes, there's something reminding you it's a Scorsese movie, and that's my problem with it. Is it feels my problem with the movie largely is that it feels like Scorsese's greatest hits. I don't I don't think that there's a lo- nothing here that we've haven't seen better. In Goodfellas or or Raging Bull or okay that I'll actually disagree with or you or Casino there. or even Wolf of Wall Street, which I think Wolf of Wall Street kind of took that Goodfellas thing mm-hmm. and updated it uh, and made it uh, more relevant to today's kind of filmmaking styles and also to a modern story. This kind of feels like we got Scorsese to do it because doesn't he do these things all the time? I am actually going to disagree with you on that point. Uh, I feel like. It is sort of a Scorsese's greatest hits, but in a, a retrospective way. In a way that you can revisit these things after a period of time and have a different approach to them. Yeah. Um, because largely in those other movies, um, you know, we're watching people be bad and enjoying the badness of, of their actions. And um, they are sort of irredeemable characters, but... 
They're not supposed to be. In this, it's, well, what do we do? What happens when there's an irredeemable character who does unspeakable things uh, and then has to live out his twilight years? Yeah. I think what makes this movie work is the last, like, half hour, last 45 minutes. The problem is the three goddamn hours getting to that point is sort of retreading this very familiar material. It is, and it is too long. I think that it's really front heavy, especially yeah. like I think the the meat of this story is the Jimmy Hoffa stuff. Absolutely. He comes in at about hour one or yeah. so and and then you, a story starts to coalesce and you realize like, oh, so there's like two framing devices, which is one too many. And uh yeah, it, it feels bloated. It feels it feels uh, a little too sprawling. I think that they, they could have made a leaner uh, cut of this movie mm-hmm. and just get to the you know the, the the tension, the points of tension in the story. Yeah, and I think it would have it would have maybe been a retread, sure, but also but I think more successful as a movie. I think it would have felt less like a retread. I think I think if you're focusing more on this penitent old ex-mobster who all of his friends are dead and he's just sort of waiting for death. Um, And you can still recount those bad deeds. To me, that is very different than uh, the Scorsese approach we've gotten before. Yeah. Usually it's, I'm going to do bad shit until I get caught. Fuck. And this is like, no, he has to actually live with these choices. He got away with it. And that's the worst thing that can happen right. to a character. And and I think that point is brought up over and over again with uh, one of the things I really liked was they would introduce a character and there'd be this freeze frame and it would just show you, it would literally tell you how this character dies. Right. Um, and they're all these violent, gruesome deaths, except the one character who we're seeing the perspective of. Right. Um, focus on that. Let us let that be the star of the movie versus the stars of the movie. Mm-hmm. And and so that's why these are problems for me, that it's so De Niro. It's so Al Pacino. They're so goddamn old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but again, if we focus on the fact that he's an old guy and maybe cast someone younger to play him at his younger, more reckless days, like... Yeah, I don't even think you necessarily have to double cast. I think like somebody like a, a Bobby Cannavale is is in that a, yeah. spectrum that he could believably play in his forties. He could believably play in his sixties. But yeah, I, I uh, overall I didn't love this movie. <laughs> um, I appreciated a lot about it. I think you have a really good director directing really good actors. You're not you're you're. It's going to be hard to walk away from this hating everything. Yeah. Um. But and I definitely think there's there's definitely better Scorsese. For sure. I think there's other movies that are are just sort of more worth your time. I again, I'm not going to say it's not worth your time, but I think this movie would have been better as a miniseries. As, you know, uh uh let's see, you know, the first part of the season is him as a young guy. You sort of do like what The Crown is doing. Um, where we're seeing, you know, having young actor play a young Queen Elizabeth, having an older actor play an older Queen Elizabeth. Like, I think the fact that he was, that it's so set on being this long sprawling epic movie sort of gets in the movie's own way. Yeah. It gets in the story's way. I agree with that. And it, I think it's just, it's very slow to start. That's my biggest issue is it just, it took me about a good hour to really get into it. And then once I did, I did. 
And yeah. I sort of enjoyed even all the big campy stuff that you had a problem with. But I, um, yeah, I think when it was all kind of said and done, my takeaway from it, other than that kind of autumnal, mm-hmm. um, uh, somber kind of, uh, final, uh, third of the movie or, or fourth of the movie, even, um, that kind of stuff feels a little, it feels more powerful. And, uh, but the rest of it, I think, feels mostly like a retread. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, and I think there was a solution to make that stuff not feel that way. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, o- overall, I mean, it's still a very watchable movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. What are we giving this one? What are you giving this one? Um, B minus. <laughs> yeah, this is that that week. I No, I kind of agree. I think B minus is right. Like, unless you're a Scorsese diehard, I think you could probably skip this one. Um, unless you're just, you know, really into a big epic mob movie. Yeah. Um, but this, it almost isn't even that because this is, I mean, the, the big mob characters are taking the backseat to this, this, you know, soldier character who feels conflicted about the whole thing the whole time, which is the most interesting thing about the movie. But the grandiosity of it is kind of weighing down the story stuff. Exactly. Uh, I, I'm actually, I think I'll give this one a, a pretty close, but a C plus. Okay. Um, it just, I'm going to say overall missed the mark. Um, but it's just, you know, through sheer, the sheer bigness of the actors, the, the, just the talent of Martin Scorsese's eye. Yeah. Uh, is what got me through this movie. Right. Um, through the, uh, th- if you're putting it through the, uh, Scorsese rubric, it, it comes out lower. De- definitely, yeah. yeah. If we're grading on that curve. Um, yeah. Which I, I am. You know, he, he does stand out. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, overall, I didn't love this. <laughs> right. Yeah, when I saw when I saw Wolf of Wall Street, I said, who could think that a guy his age would make a movie like this? When I saw this, I said, this looks like a movie a guy his age would make. Yeah. Okay. That is the episode yeah that's this week if anybody i'm almost hesitant to say this but if anybody has no please i loved it i loved hearing people's reactions to our reactions so much i doubt people have uh strong feelings about these three movies yeah yeah but if you do or anything or you want to respond to anything you've you've heard we're going to be the next episode we're doing is going to be our top 10 films of the week if you want to send your personal top 10 of the year no, of the week. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. not watching ten <laughs> movies. This there week. might have been ten movies that came out this week. Uh, um, but no, yeah, yeah. We're next week. Uh, we're going to be doing our top ten films of 2019. So if you want to send in your personal top five or ten or something like that, um, drop us a line at uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or instagram at mcguffin pod you can also follow us on our facebook page where we post our news stories and episodes when they go up at uh, facebook.com slash mcguffin pod um, you can follow me individually on twitter at bc cassidy and you can also read uh, the different reviews i've written and the see the review uh podcast archive on mcguff.in slash author slash cassidy and while you're there Please read the other content provided by the other staff writers at the MacGuffin. Um, Keith. Uh, you can follow me at Keith Foster Kid on Twitter and Insta. Um, please, I'll debate any movie all day long with you on, on Twitter. 
Um, and you can also follow my art account at Sticky Note Aesthetic. I haven't updated or posted anything in a while, but um, eh, I will eventually. Okay, I'm on uh, Instagram as well. I'm just posting records uh, right now. I'm I might do more with it as I you know get other ideas. Um, but uh, yeah, that's at VC Cassidy as well. So that is that's it. That's the episode for the week. I'd rather be a free spinster and paddle my own canoe. <laughs>